Okay, good morning and welcome to Kabbalah Cafe. We have a delicious breakfast this morning. Yes, I haven't tried it, but it looks really good. It looks really good. And if you had eggs today, I cracked those eggs. I cracked those <laughs> eggs and checked those eggs for being, oh, that's what messed it up. Can I, can I, delicious bread, can I make one comment? Absolutely. Maybe just put the bagel before you eat them because inside of them they're cold. Oh, interesting, yes. That's good feedback. No, about the bagels being a little not 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 so warm on the inside because they're they're baked while whole. Yeah, that's a, that's that's good feedback. Okay, so let's let's jump in. Hey everybody. Okay, um, Frank, good to see you. By the way, I mentioned before you jumped on that we're going to try to keep it clean today. Clean, the keep the. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, you know it's a little it's the least I can do, you know, for uh, for the sake of of Torah and Chassidus and Kabbalah. Okay. So we are going to pick up our conversation, and our conversation last week was focused on spiritual parallel to physical activities. So if you recall from last week, we talked about cooking. That was the focus on cooking. And we got into an elaborate conversation. There was a few parts of it, just to recap very quickly. We talked about how everything in the physical world um, stems from a spiritual phenomenon. In other words, everything has a parallel, has a spiritual parallel. So when you hear about like parallel universes, we kind of believe in that in a certain way. Like if something exists physically, it also has a spiritual analog. So that's one point. Second point is that when it comes to food, food is emblematic of one of the most important um, jobs it is or missions that we have as human beings, which is Avodat habirurim, the work of separation or refinement, purification. Right? How do you purify something? You typically take out the impurities and you leave what's pure. Like if you were, um, if you work with silver, right? I don't mean if you're shaping silver. I mean if you're trying to produce pure silver. So then there's a way of I don't know smelting. I'm just going to go with a word that I'm not sure. It sounds like it would would apply, you know, more or less. You know, you're smelting your silver and you're refining it. You take out there's the way where you heat it and you melt it, etc. And you you pull out the impurities and leave just the purest silver. And this is true with other precious metals, etc. And so this is the idea of birum. Birum is about refinement. It's about refining, taking out the bad and leaving the good. It's a process. Now, it's a process that, um, that is really a, at the core mission of life. I got to tell you something. When the Jewish people left Egypt, which we just read about this week's, uh, last, uh, yesterday in the Torah, around the world, uh, in the Torah portion, and we're going to continue this week about you know, the splitting of the sea and you know, the culmination of the Exodus, there is one line that's fascinating. It says, "Vigam erev rav alu imahem." That with the Exodus, there was also another group of people that left, or another group that left with the Jews, and they're referred to as the erev rav. What's the erev rav? Vigam erev rav alu imahem. What's erev rav? So typically, it's translated as mixed multitude which is the most literal translation that you've ever seen. Erev, Rav, mixed multitude. And it's like, okay, I don't even know what mixed multitude means. You're literally translating words, but what's a mixed multitude? No one would ever use that in English in a sentence. So yeah, mixed multitude are Egyptians 
that went along for the ride. They're like, oh, I want to hitch my fate to, to these guys' wagon. And could be, could be, or people that were just like, you know, they, they, they said, look, the Jews are, seem to be, you know, in God's favor. It seems to be that's where their truth lies. We're going to go with them. Okay, there is a Kabbalistic understanding of Erev Rav. You got to do a little numerology, though. Hey, everyone loves a little numerology. You can't go wrong with that. A little gematria. What's the gematria of Rav? Reish, Bet, two letters. Rav is Reish, Bet, 202, right? Reish is 200, Bet is the second letter is two, so 202. Reish, Bet, Rav is 202. Now, how many sparks were there originally in creation? How many sparks did we have originally in creation? Sorry, let me explain what I'm saying. The Arizal teaches that before our reality, before our world, there was the world of Tohu, world of chaos where the lights were big and the vessels were small. And because of the, 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 um, the power of the, of the light and the weakness of the vessels, should we, can you close that door for a second? Yeah, thank you. Oh, beat you to it. Thank you very much. Because of, the, uh, of the, the force of the light and the weakness of the vessels, the vessel shattered. And the vessel shattered and those sparks are embedded in our world, which is known as the world of tikkun, the world of repair. And our job is literally tikkun olam. Now, tikkun olam is a, is a phrase that a lot of people know nowadays, but there's an original meaning of that phrase, tikkun olam, and it comes from Luriana Kabbalah. It literally comes from Kabbalah. Tikkun olam is a Kabbalistic term, and it means to fix, to repair the world. What is that? Repair the world. It means to find and collect and, um, and, and, and refine the sparks of holiness that were embedded in the world from the shattering of the vessels. So, the second paragraph of the also, and it mean good, right? To repair the world and good. But, but the, the phrase, tikkun olam, no, you're right. It comes from the Elenu, correct? Um, but there is a Kabbalist, there's definitely a Kabbalistic connotation, which is to collect, to seek out and collect those sparks, the sparks of divine energy that are embedded in the world from the shattering of the vessels. How many sparks fell? It's found in the beginning of Torah. It would be interesting if I would have put these on the sheet so you could look at it. It says in the beginning, in the first few verses, V'ruach Elohim, it's out. It says, Va'olam haita tohu vavohu. The world was chaos and void. Tohu. Tohu. V'ruach elokim, and the Spirit of God, mirachefet apnehamayim, was hovering over the face of the water. Mirachefet. Mirachefet. Take that word. Mirachefet. Five letters. The first and last letter spell the word. What's the first and last letter? Mirachefet. Rachefet. Mem and Tav. Spell the word. Met. What does met mean? Die. Okay? And what's in the middle? Resh. Chet. Pei. The gematria of which is? 288. So Kabbalah says, you know what that means? It means that after Tohu, when the, when the vessels shatter, you have Rachefet. You have Rachef. Resh. Pei Ches. Rapach, 
you have 288 sparks that met, that died, that fell from the shattering of the vessels. And those 288 sparks are embedded in the world, the physical world. And when the Jews spent 210 years in Egypt in fear of slavery, what did they do? What did they accomplish? 202 of those sparks were fixed, were reclaimed, refined. Because of the exile. It didn't seem like to be such a great success there as well. That's what it says. That's what Kabbalah says. That there are 288. Of those 288, 202 were healed through this, through the time, through the through the 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 the, the, the time spent in Egypt. So what's left? 86. 86. We've been working on the 86 for a very long time. <laughs> We've been working on the 86 for a very long time. So we start with 288. 202 is healed. But with the remaining 88, 86, sorry, is, uh, is still, those are the tricky ones. Those are the hard ones. You know, it's easy. You know, like when you're transferring files, on a, anyone transfer files anymore? I feel like everything's in the cloud. You do? So anyway, oh, okay, right. Right, okay. So when you transfer files, it's like, you know, like sometimes, like in the beginning, like files are going really quickly and then they start slowing down. Because like, first it does like the Word documents and then it's like, oh, all your videos and bigger files. It takes a long time. So the 202, those were healed. Those were fixed. Those were mevarer or nitbarer. Those were refined. The 86, still working. Obviously, it's not just 86. Every spark can subdivide into other sparks. We're still working on fixing that. All of this is to say that um, the, the work of Birurim is really the work of life, the work of refinement, spiritual refinement, recapturing the sparks, and it's emblematic or it's symbolized uh, by, the, by the act of eating. And so that's how we explain the idea of cooking and preparing food. Last week, the idea of really uh, preparing um, uh, the context of, of, of healthy eating. Today, we're going to move away from the kitchen and into the laundromat. I used the laundromat recently. A few months ago, we were up in Boston, and we were there for about a week and a half. And um, um, my wife was doing a, a, a program of educational leadership up in, I don't know if I could say it anymore, Harvard. I don't know. Can we say Harvard? Is that like, is that like not a... Anyway, so, so she was up in Harvard for the week. I carried her books. That was the arrangement. <laughs> kidding. So I, I worked out of... Uh, the library in Cambridge, I was working over there. I felt, felt very intellectual, I must say. It, felt, it, felt, it, it was, no, it was summer, it was, uh, I don't know, it was, it was fine. But it, it was actually very nice. Um, the th- so he, but here's the point. The point is that, oh, so we, you know, obviously we don't have like a, we're not in our house, we don't have a, in a washer and dryer. So we were, we were bouncing in between a few different places. Like we were staying in, I don't know, I guess downtown Boston? I don't know if it's downtown. Boston Common area? Whatever. We're staying there and then uh, going to Cambridge. And then also um, the kids were on camp in Chestnut Hill. So like we were, and the kosher food was in Brookline. So like we're all over the place, all over the map over there in in Boston, you know, just driving around. I was in the car a lot of the day. Um, It was great. So we, well, we hit laundromat a few times, and you know, laundromats have their own interesting, interesting thing. By the way, I've told this story before. Rob, I think you'll like this. I was in a laundromat in Midtown, Atlanta, and this guy comes over to me and says, are you Jewish? 
real Southern boy. I say, yeah. He's like, so you're not really a Jew. I'm like, wait, what? He's like, you're Jew-ish. I'm like, you're kidding, right? He's like, no, I've read on the internet that the, that Jewish people are not the real Jews. That's why they're called Jewish. I'm like, I, you know what? Honestly, uh, my laundry is done. I got I to gotta roll because uh, I don't even know what's going on here. But this guy was like, I don't know. That was an interesting conversation. Yeah. Hey. Oh, I think I know. Um, Edelman. Um, Edelman. Yeah, Julia, Julian Edelman. Ish. <laughs> Great, you're saying he started the stereotype. I don't know. I don't know. He started it. Anyway, um, so we're going to move from the kitchen to the laundromat. So what happens? So you have clothing, and clothing needs to be cleaned, and so you clean it. And I wrote in the email last night um, that, you know, there's a lot of different things that go into cleaning clothes. You've got to know what kind of clothing it is, how delicate it is, what kind of fabric it is, what kind of stain it is. Right? Some stains need hot. Some stains need cold. Some stains, it's like a whole, it's a whole chachma. You know, like you get a stain and you're like, oh, great. Oil, right? Frying latkes, the oil splashes, great. Now what? It's like, oh, let me Google this. Yeah, you take baking soda. Everyone's got like, there's always these hacks, these hacks online and, other, and, other, and otherwise. But, you know, when it comes to clothing, a major piece of it is cleaning it. Back in the day, I guess they would take it down to the river. What do I know? I wasn't there. But I would imagine you need water. You don't have indoor plumbing. So you got water, right? You got water maybe from the well. You got water by the river, right? You beat the clothes. You beat the clothes. Is that true? Yeah? You have a board, a washing board, right? That probably makes more sense than beating the clothes. Who does that, right? The washing board. God, I should have Googled this before the class, right? Washing board. Today, it's great. Remember the old, old, whatever. Like, not that old, but like... Today, front loaders, uh, everyone have a front loader? Many people have a front loader? Not everyone? No. Anyway, top loader. Remember the old top loader? Remember that thing in the middle? Remember what it was called? Agitator, Agitator, right? It's great. My clothes are getting way too comfortable. I got to put them in the agitator. Just ruffle some feathers. Let's go, boys. Come on. Let's uh, come out there like, like, who put me in there? I'm like, I don't know, but if I find out, I'll let you know. No idea who's up to agitation. Who is the chief agitator of this household? But anyway, clothing has to be clean. And so today, what we're going to speak about is the spiritual analog. In other words, the nimshal. You have a mushal and a nimshal. You have the parable and the... I don't know if there's another word for it, for like what the parable is teaching you. But it's more than just a parable. It's an embodiment. Clothing and cleaning clothing is an embodiment of, a spir- of spiritual work that needs to be done. So let's define what are spiritual clothing, and then what does it mean to clean the clothing? What does it mean to have dirty clothing spiritually? We'll talk about all this stuff. Let's go. Now, clothing, garments, I think many of us are familiar, because we've talked about this many times, that there are garments of the soul, thought, speech, and action. That's not the, the direction that we're going with today. That's not the direction that he does in the text. So we're going to go a little bit different. And the way I want to begin this conversation is by talking about the duality of study, action. In the language of the, of the Gemara, the language of the Talmud, it's Talmud, actually, and Maisa. It's learning and doing. And the Gemara asks a question. The Talmud asks a question. Which is greater, study or 
action. Is Torah study greater or is mitzvah doing greater? Which is greater? So you would say mitzvah? Oh, oh, you're saying learning is great, but until it gets done, it's, it's a theory. Good, okay. So the Talmud has a debate. I know, it's shocking. Who saw that coming? Like, the Talmud has a debate. Rabbis usually see everything the same way. It's bizarre. But in this one case, there's a debate. How about a debate? The Talmud says after the Nimnu Vagamru, they, they discussed and they decided, they came to a conclusion. Listen to this. Talmud Gadol, study is greater. Why? Because it brings to action. <laughs> you like that? Study is greater than action. Why? Because study brings to action. It's almost like it's saying that study has both virtues. You have the virtue of Torah study, and you also, you also have the virtue of action because you couldn't have done it. You can't do a mitzvah without knowing how to do it. And the Talmud concludes, action is primary. In other words, Talmud is, study is greater than action because study also includes, it's also what you need to, do, to act, but action is actually the primary thing. So the Talmud says, basically, let, how do we cover all the bases and pretend like we're answering the question? That's kind of what it is. I mean, it's not, I, so, so that's, that's the conclusion. And, but I want to share, that's the Talmud, the Gemara. I want to share with you the Kabbalah of study versus action. So Kabbalah likens the difference between Torah study and mitzvah observance, mitzvah doing, to the difference between eating, um, eating food and wearing clothes. So what's the difference between food and clothing? I know what you're thinking. There's a lot of differences. Where do we start? I mean, they're totally different. But one difference is like this. That food goes inside of us. Clothing remains outside of us. Right? So food is absorbed within, whereas um, uh, yeah, food, whereas clothing remains outside. Now, the truth is, Kabbalah also speaks about three levels: food, clothing, and shelter. It sounds like my social studies class back in the day, right? Three primary needs: food, clothing, shelter, which is still true. Um, Mr. Jesse, we had this teacher, Mr. Jesse. He was a character. Mr. Jesse. He was a dude. He was a guy back in the day who would like like lift up a kid. You know, he was like this big guy. He would like lift up. Sounds weird, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Anyway, so um, he was like the coach for the Yeshiva team. We did not hit Allstate, trust me. We did not make it. <laughs> anyway, so... So food, clothing, shelter. Mazon, food. Um, levush, clothing. And bayit, shelter, home. What's the difference? So one way to frame the difference is how close are they to you? Food is really close, so close, it's inside of you. Clothing is not inside of you, it's outside of you, but it's in proximity to you, right? It's to your shape, right? It's, it's fitted, whereas a house is hopefully, unless you're a turtle, not fitted, right? A house, if, if, if you're wearing a fitted house, then, you, then you're calling your clothes the wrong name, right? You're just, you're, just, you're just calling it, you're using the wrong word, right? A house is meant to be larger than you, larger than you specifically. So that's it. Mazon, lavush, and bayit. Food, 
clothing, shelter. And the difference is in level of proximity. So what does that mean? So what does that mean? So mazon, food, again, it's internalized. It goes within. You absorb it. You digest it. It's like Torah study. Kabbalah says it's like Torah study. What happens when you study Torah? You digest it. You understand it. You integrate it. Right? It's, it's part of you. It becomes dam ubasar kipsaro. It becomes like your flesh and blood. When you learn something, it doesn't remain outside. I mean, hopefully. It doesn't remain outside of you. When you learn something, it becomes transformative. Like our new course, Advice for Life, starting Wednesday. <laughs> right? The Rebbe's advice on life. It's not meant to be like, oh, that's interesting. It's, it becomes part of who you are. It's a mindset. Right? It's a paradigm. Whoa. It's a paradigm shift. It's a new lens to look at things from the inside out. Okay. So that's, that's the meaning of the correlation between Torah and food. Torah and food, just like food nourishes, benefits from the inside, it goes inside and benefits you in, from within. So to Torah, goes within. You have to understand it. If you don't understand what you're learning, did you learn? You with me? Right. If Torah, that's maybe another way of, frame, of, of framing it. If you learn Torah, but you don't understand what you're learning, then what was that? I don't, I don't know if you actually learned, because it didn't go within. If you're eating food, but the food's not going inside, did you eat? I don't know if you ate. Right? It, it, in order to work, it has to go inside. Fine. When it comes to a mitzvah, totally different. Totally different. Think about it. First of all, a mitzvah is something you do. You do a mitzvah. It's not something that you're ingesting. You don't ingest. You, you digest Torah. You think about Torah. You process Torah. A mitzvah, you do. It's, it, it's an external activity. Are you with me on the difference? Makes sense? Also, you can not understand the mitzvah, and guess what? You still did it. Yeah, person say, I'm not going to plow my field in Sandy Springs. I'm not going to plow my field with uh, an ox and a donkey together. Great. Sure, I won't do that. <laughs> I don't have an ox or a donkey, but I'm definitely not doing that. Do I understand it? Am I digesting it? Is it something that's like internal or is it like I'm, I'm not doing it? Well, why am I giving an example of not doing something? All right, let's, let's do an example of, of doing something. Let's give an example of doing something. So I'm going, uh, what am I doing? I am, what am I doing? What's a mitzvah? I am, suddenly I can't think, there's 248 mitzvahs. No, but I want to use something that like expresses the, I don't understand what I'm doing, but I'm doing it anyway. Um, oh, but that's not wearing something. I am, yeah, kosher would be good, but I'm eating it. So that would like, that would be too meta. You know, that would, that would throw our brains for a loop and get us stuck in, in, a, uh, in a glitch in the matrix. Anyway, what's a mitzvah that we don't understand, but we do it anyway? Mitzvah right. of... What is it? Maybe wrapping some people who wrap tefillin don't know why. Oh, wrapping tefillin. Perfect. Thank you, Shana. Hey, Shana. So wrapping tefillin, right? Wrapping tefillin. We wrap tefillin, put tefillin on in the morning, say shema, whatever it is, daven, chakras. Why we put on tefillin? Torah says put on tefillin. Yeah, it, 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 you can study Torah and study chassidus and Kabbalah and you can understand meanings for that, but guess what? That's Torah. Ah, Torah is meant to go inside. 
So the Torah, the information of why, that you digest. But the actual mitzvah action is literally, well, literally it's being wrapped on your arm, but it's also like, it's also something you're doing. You're doing, I understand it, I don't know. I'm doing it, it's something that I do. It's like clothing, it remains outside. So Torah is lechem, mazon. Torah is mayim. Torah is likened to food and water and drink, it goes inside. A mitzvah is a lavush, a garment. Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Again, why is it like a garment? Again, breaking it down. Number one, it's not about whether we understand it or not. We do it. And doing is also um, connected with more of a garment thing, more of a, sorry, more of an outside thing than an inside thing. Like garments that are outside and not inside. Now, let's go further and talk about spiritual energy and how it, flows down into our reality because this is going to be very important for today's conversation so how does it work so our reality is powered by divine energy that flows from above to below now it's a misnomer to think that the spiritual worlds are physically or directionally above and we're directionally below that's not how it works like we speak of the world of atzilut the highest world where is atzilut like if you look up you know, on a, on, a, on a clear night and you look up to the stars, are you going to see Atzilut? No. It's right here. It's right here. We don't speak about this on Shabbos in Toko. It's like Atzilut is, the worlds are right here. It's not like different space. It's like, it's all, it's all around. It's all here. It's just a different dimension. That's just a, a, word, of, a word of note. But anyway, but we, we refer to it as going up or going down because in our, the way we conceive of things, higher is higher, lower is lower. And so when we try to speak about more spiritual, you know, something more spiritual or loftier, we're, we use words like high and low just in order to kind of signify that um, in language. But again, don't, don't picture it as, as something literal, but more of a figurative way of speech. That being said, divine energy flows from above, there you go, to below. To power our world. Now, how does it flow from above to below? How do you have divine energy that flows to our worlds, the lowest worlds? How do you have, for example, the, the energy that's, that starts off in the world of Atzilut, the world of emanation, which is a holy spiritual world, to flow down to the worlds of Bia, Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya? How, how does that happen? So one could say, well, what do you mean? How does it happen? God just you know, keeps on directing the energy down, 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 until it hits our reality. Sure, but that's a major oversimplification. Because spiritual energy always needs a garment, listen to this, needs a garment in order to facilitate the transfer. What does that mean? Imagine, a, imagine an astronaut going to outer space, right? Taking a person and putting them in a foreign environment, that person needs a spacesuit to survive. In other words, it has to be protected. Or think about something as simple as the fruit that grows on a tree. So typically the fruit is going to have uh, a peel or some sort of cover that protects it from the environment until it's ready to eat. The same thing is true with, um, with spiritual energy. As it comes down, it almost needs a garment. It needs some sort of, I don't know, what's a better word than garment? It needs a, a cover, a sheath. It needs a protective layer. A protective layer, right? An enzyme, I don't know, I'm making up words there. But I mean, it needs a thing, it needs something to protect it, right, on its journey down because you're taking pure energy and you're putting it into a more 
sorry, a less refined space, that energy almost needs to be shielded with, with a protective layer. What provides those protective layers? The mitzvot that we do. This is what Kabbalah teaches. Every mitzvah that we do creates a garment. Listen to this. Just like, let me just connect these two ideas. Just like in our experience, doing a mitzvah, right? Just like in our experience, doing a mitzvah is a garment type of experience as opposed to a food, right? It's not about eating. When, I, when I'm doing a mitzvah, it's not like I'm studying Torah and digesting it. When I do a mitzvah, it's like a garment. It also creates a spiritual gar- or a garment for the spiritual energy above in order to allow that energy to flow below. It needs a garment. It needs some sort of shield case cover to bring the energy down. Every mitzvah that we do helps bring down divine energy lower, 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 lower. Does that make sense? Oh, so, so, but before the example, one second, it's kind of like also human beings. It's like the obvious example. I don't know why I didn't think of it before. For a human being, well, I mean, I guess this could be argued, but whatever. For a human being to be able to withstand um, the environment of planet Earth, whether it's heat or whether it's cold, we need clothing, right? Clothing helps. Yesterday, how cold was it yesterday morning? It was cold. It was cold. I think when I walked to Shul, I don't know how cold it was. It was like 20 degrees? Oh, colder. Colder? Colder, colder than 20? Oh, wow. Okay, so there you go. So it was colder. So there I was walking through the icy streets of Toko, and, uh, and it was cold. I had my old school Pittsburgh scarf wrapped around, wrapped around my face, fogging up my glasses. I felt like I was 10 again. Anyway, so this is, you know, it's, it's cold, and, and you have layers to protect. So too, divine energy also needs layers to protect. Layers to protect its journey. So I don't know if I can give you an example of like this mitzvah specifically creates that garment for that divine energy. But in general, every mitzvah that we do creates a garment, creates a layer that facilitates, in a positive way, a layer that facilitates the transmittal, transmission is better, Transmission of divine energy from above to below. It packages. It helps package, right? You order from Amazon or whatever, or your favorite purveyor of online goods, right? They put it in a box and then they ship it. They don't like just, they don't just throw it out there. Here's a pair of socks. Hope it makes it. They put it in a box and it goes. That's probably the best example. I like that. You order a pair of socks. I know I just said it. I want to say it formally on the record, right? You order a pair of socks. What do they do? They just take a pair of socks, fold it up, and just hand it to someone to hand it to someone to hand. No, it's what it's gonna unravel. It's gonna, who knows what's gonna happen? Put in a box, right? Padding. You don't want your socks banging around. I'm kidding about the padding part. <laughs> right? <laughs> huh? Socks are a layer too. Yes. Oh man, it's getting more meta. It's more meta than I realized. That's also clothing, right? Whoops. Right, but you put in a box and you ship the box. This is like the perfect example. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad we came to this together, guys. So the same thing is true. Divine energy, God puts the energy in a box. He's like, oh, this is going to Asiya. This is going to human beings. All right, we got to put it in a shipping box. Do you know I've seen um, videos of Amazon, uh, like their distribution, uh, distribution warehouse, whatever it's called. They have robots. 
that automatically like help that tell the people or maybe pick the stuff but tell the people what size box to use for like efficiency it's very much automated um, that's neither here nor there however boxes are important and so every mitzvah that we do provides a box provides a shipping box for look you're sending sensitive documents right you got sensitive sensitive documents you're sending a check right you're sending a check to someone in another town great you're going to put it in an envelope. I'm going to just put it out there, which gets me to my second point. I've had more than two points, by the way. But I'll, I'll just, oh my gosh, balloons just went up flying. Do you guys see that? I think when I do this, yeah. When I, every time I do two, balloons happen. When I go like this, this is in Zoom. Sorry, guys. Hey, you guys don't get hacked, nor do you get the um, animation. So it's a, you win some, you lose some. I'm just saying. I'm Ray is not. Oh, yeah, Ray is. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Hi, Ray. Um, if, what if I do two? Oh, confetti. Look at that. It's literally a party. Um, anyway, so back to the story. Um, my third point, or whatever, whatever we're up to. A check. You're sending a check. No, 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 no. Way better. You're sending cash. Checks. Checks. Man, I'm still writing 2023 on my checks. Anyway, right, so checks. So you're sending cash. Huh? Right, who writes checks? Cash only here, cash only. You ever go to the supermarket and try to pay with cash? They look at you like you're crazy. I'm kidding. I don't know if that happens, but because I haven't paid with cash. But I did pay with cash recently. And it's, yeah, remember it was always fun, like, making change. But I think now it's automatic. They, ha- they even put it in, and I think it, like, comes out. I don't know, whatever. Back to the story. You're sending cash. So what are you going to do? Just put cash in the mailbox? No. Do you even put, well, no, do you put cash in an envelope? Just stop? Just do you put cash in the envelope? No. What are you going to do? Huh? No, 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 no. Let's say you're sending cash. What do you do? That's it. Thank, thank you for understanding what I'm trying to say. <laughs> right. Yes. You're, with what? What? You can't send cash in the mail? What? What? What is that? Why? Because you open the envelope and steal, they'll steal your cash. Why would you do that? Well, no, that's pragmatic, but you're saying legal? You can't send cash in the mail. I don't know All right. There's so much to look up. It's a whole thing. Maybe over a certain amount. Okay. Wow. All right. I've got, I've got a busy afternoon then. Now, so but here's, the, uh, here's, the, here's the thought that I have. Here's, the, here's the, the, the analogy that I thought of. If you take cash illegally or legally and you put it in an envelope, but you, you use like a regular standard kind of see-through envelope, man, that's, yeah, that's not smart. That's not smart. So you either put it in paper, you put it in a, one of those um, kind of like security envelopes where you can't see it. What, you do something to try to protect, even if it's a check. You don't want people to see that you have a check. Right? You, you put some security around it. Listen to this. What does a mitzvah do? You ready for the next level? We have now, I think this is the third point. A mitzvah is not only something that we do versus consume. So it's a garment, number one. Number two, it's not just, some, it's not just providing the garment for divine energy, the shipping box, to move it from one world to a lower world, to move it down toward us. 
But number three, it also provides security to make sure, listen to this, that the energy only goes to the correct recipient and not to the forces of evil or negativity. So I'm, and that needs a whole other explanation. But you understand what I'm saying about this? Packaging doesn't only help facilitate moving, it also helps facilitate security. It, it's a dual role. Does that make sense? It's the package and it makes it secure to lock down to the intended recipient and to no one else. And mitzvahs do both of that. Mitzvahs not only bring down divine energy, but also bring it down in a way that prevents it from what's called yinikat hachitzonim, which means the... Yinikat hachitzonim. The nerd, yeah, but I, I was just... Hijacking of, of evil. We don't want evil to hijack the divine energy, and that is prevented through doing a mitzvah, bring it down through that layer of protection. Let me explain. <coughs> big question, the big question is, how does evil get its energy? Where does that come from? <laughs> Possibly. However, um, so here's the thing. Hashem wanted neg- wants negativity to exist. Why? Because Hashem wants everything to be in balance between good and the opposite. Okay. But there's a possibility for evil to have even more energy than it was intended. And Kabbalah says this can happen in two ways. Number one, from Makif, and number two, from Tzimtzum. It can either ascend to a level beyond the parameters of right and wrong, good and evil. In other words, good and evil only exist within a certain logical or conditional framework. But if you go beyond that level of logic and or conditioning, then you can conceptually reach a level called makif, which is a transcendent level of divine energy, where light and darkness are essentially equivalent. And on that level, dark is like light, light is like dark, and therefore even negativity can also get nourishment. I'll give you an example. Wait, wait one second. I'll give you an example. So sometimes you, know, you can have a context where something is, let me think about this, something is so big that it doesn't notice the details. Something is so big, it doesn't notice the details. So like, for example, the example that's given is a wedding. So, you know, a person might have, you know, might get along with one person, not get along with another person, but at a wedding, when a person's in a heightened state of joy, so they will receive their enemy as much as they'll receive their friend. Why? Because they're on a higher, they're, they're not operating on the normative, like, I like you, I don't like you. They're operating on a higher dimension. They're in a state of heightened joy. And in that state of heightened joy, I'm happy with you also. In other words, it's like a level of makif. It's, it's, a, it's a transcendent, they're in a transcendent space. And in that transcendent space, they're not so particular about you versus you, what you said, what you did. It's like higher level of joy. That's, that's, that example is brought next to this. The other example that's brought is the spider that's in the king's palace. The larger the palace, I, I know it's probably not the way it plays out practically. It's the larger the palace, the more you might not notice a little spider in a corner somewhere. 
I know the reason why that's not not, not be accurate is because in a palace you probably have a thousand people going around making sure you know there's nothing no bugs crawling around. But conceptually, like the larger the space, like if it's a smaller space, you notice every detail. The bigger the space, the less you notice. Conceptually, so the same thing is true when it comes to divine dimensions, spiritual dimensions. The higher you go, the higher you scale the divine uh, structure. When you get to the level of makif, then at that point, it's almost like spiders can also exist. Or to give another example, it's like, imagine breaking in, ah, this is a good example, maybe, breaking into the warehouse. Um, you know, like stores, they have, they, they have losses, you know, theft, right? So somebody could shoplift from the store, or you can take it like from the warehouse or from the truck, right? Where just everything is there, and it's it's just it's a little bit more access. I'm not recommending. This is not like a user's guide for theft. I'm just saying, and nor may this be true at all. It's just like the larger the space, or the larger the context, or the more removed it is from you know practical uh, uh, um, you know safeguards the easier it is to get access. Yeah. Of what, of what, that's what people think. What people think, right. No, but so, so it says that klipa, right, the negative energy can get yinika, can get nourished, can get sustenance from makif, from the level of a makif. That's why, for example, Haman, he threw, he drew lots, right? He drew lots, why? To, uh, to, to, to choose the day to chas v'shalom, God forbid, destroy the Jewish people. Why did he throw lots? Why don't you pick a day? We can't make a decision. So Chassidus explains, he, he did that because he recognized that in a space of logic, there's no way that he can defeat the Jewish people. So he wanted to go to a place beyond logic, where with the roll of the dice, who knows, maybe he could win. In other words, if he can go to a place of gorel, go to a place of lottery, go to a place of Makif, then maybe he could get, you know, maybe he could achieve his aim, God forbid, destroying the Jewish people. Yeah. So uh, you're saying there's this spiritual energy that comes down, and if it's not encased with something, right, like mitzvahs, then that energy could be negative energy. Misappropriated. Misappropriated energy, and that's the evil. Yes. Yes. You don't study Torah on Christmas Eve. To not feed energy into the negative. Right, right, right. Good. So, so there's two ways for um, evil to gain extra energy. Number one, it can go to Makif. Number two, it can be nourished from too much um, tzimtzum. The more tzimtzum, the more... So it can either get from the highest or from the lowest of spaces. You see, when, the, when light goes through tzimtzum, goes through contraction, well, it can be contracted so much that it might end up in the wrong place. So for example, the example that's used in Chassidus is um, when you are, one second, let me think of the example. If you're at a table, sorry, if you're at a meal and they, uh, so at, a, at, at like a feast and they're throwing the bones under the table for the kalavim, for the dogs, right? So they have a feast and they throw like, I don't know if this is actually done, you know, but you throw some food for the, for the, for the, for the dogs. 
So with, you know, if you go down, 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 you might end up with scraps as well for, for, um, for, for, for negative energy. But how do you prevent even scraps from going to negativity? We don't want to feed any negativity. The answer is, again, through the garments. What are the garments? The packaging. What is the packaging? It is the mitzvot. So the mitzvot that we do, the mitzvot that we do, not only move the energy downward, but it also protects it from being misappropriated by negativity. However, the caveat, and that's, this is our conversation today, we're going to jump inside in a second. The caveat is that the mitzvot that we do need to be clean. Like the garments we wear need to be clean. What does it mean to have clean? That means the mitzvah, when you do a mitzvah, you got to do it clean. What, is that? what does that mean that it's a clean mitzvah versus a non-clean mitzvah? Oh, good. So there's a bunch of different layers that we're going to get to today. And, and I thought, so this introduction is kind of setting the stage. Good morning. The introduction is setting the stage. But the ins- when we read it inside, it's going to be very, elab- you'll see it's very hard to understand. The text is very cryptic, but we're going to make sense of it. He's going to say it includes Chachma Bittel, which is um, doing the mitzvah for the right reason and not for yourself, not for ego. Right? Bittel means you're doing it, lack of ego. It's not about you, it's about, it's about the cause. So number one, what makes a mitzvah clean? What makes the garments of a mitzvah clean? That you're doing it for the right reason, not for your own ego. Look at me, I did this mitzvah. mm you're doing it l'shem. Sh- yeah, could be both, but the cleaner it is, what what makes it clean? What makes it clean is the more bitul, the more chachma bitul that you have, the cleaner it is. So well, we well, give tzedakah for the cause. Yeah, that's if there's a natural benefit. That's I don't think that 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 distorts it. The question would be if someone only does a mitzvah for their own benefit. By the way, it's still a mitzvah. But it's not clean. It's not clean. So he's going to talk about that's one level of clean. Another level he'll talk about is doing it with joy, um, with love, etc. So there's one thing to do the mitzvah. I wrap the tefillin. But then there's a few other layers. That's the garment that brings down the energy and that ensures that it doesn't go to the wrong place to a certain extent. But if you really want to bring it down and you really want to ensure, it's better if the garments are clean. And what are clean garments? Again, it's not about you. Sorry, it's uh, with bittel, meaning it's not for you, it's for the cause, and you do it with joy and excitement and love. So now with that in mind, let's read it. It, it is here. Just swung and missed. Here we go. Okay. What about like when you make a donation yeah. to the synagogue to wherever? I mean, you're getting a benefit by making a donation with a tax deduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. So, excellent question. I think that's kind of what Larry was asking. Yeah. Right? Larry asked a similar question. And, and, and you know, if it also has a benefit, that's, we call that win-win. Right? That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Uh, the main thing that we're talking about here is that the primary aim should be one that is for a higher purpose as opposed to a lower purpose. In other words, that the primary aim should be for the cause and the secondary is for the benefit. Again, not that, that, that that's a bad thing, but the cleaner the, mid, the cleaner the garment, the cleaner the mitzvah, the pure, the pure experience it is. Anonymously is one, is one of the levels, although one could say, and the Rebbe argued, that giving not anonymously 
um, you know, have, making sure that one knows that you gave is actually better. Then in, nowadays, it's better than anonymous. Why? Because it will encourage other people to give as well. And when you encourage others, to, and, and, and so therefore, it's not only, now you're not only doing it, not, now you're not only giving what you're giving, you're also giving in a way that's encouraging others to give, and so your giving is multiplied, which is a very good thing. Sandrine, what are you saying? Saying there's a great episode of curb your enthusiasm like that, where it was a donation and only one guy give anonymously. So then it become, oh come on, like we all know who you are. You did it, you know. So then it's like anonymous, like he. He's saying anonymous <laughs> gives him more, yeah, more honor than. Who's anonymous? Who's anonymous? It's funny. Larry David. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think most people give it so they can get that tax credit. So we're, but of course you have the donation. You were saying if you have, if you get a secondary benefit, it's still clean. But in in the case of that, how do you determine what is secondary? Is the donation secondary? I would I would say first of all, the simple answer is it's your intention. But I would actually I would. With respect, I would push back a little bit and say, if someone's going to donate, like the SS, I think you're talking about the SSO funds, right? You got to put out the money in advance. It's not. It's not like there is a. You, you're not. You're not. It's not so. It's not so. It's not the most convenient. By the way, this should not deter anybody from doing it. This will help the schools. That's right. Of course. give to that, and I can tell you, it goes directly to scholarship and help. It's incredible. The benefit is incredible. So I would say like this. It, the, I, I don't think anyone's like, oh, I was looking for a way to prepay my taxes, and this is giving me a way to prepay my taxes. Like who's who, like that's maybe that's a thing, but I can't imagine that's too much of a thing. It's more like, oh, it's a win-win. It's would anyway have to pay it, and here it can go to a school to scholarships for for Jewish kids and educa- Jewish education. That's like that's the most. If by the way, if some if Anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about? Just reach out to me. It's mm-hmm. every Jewish school here in Atlanta is benefiting from this program. That is, at the end of the day, zero extra cost yeah. to the to the to the donor. It's a benefit to the donor. It's a. I don't know if they. I don't know if you can do the federal anymore. Yeah. I think they may. You still can. Okay. Really? Okay. I I know that there was a. They it used to be like that. Oh, Speak to, your, speak to your accountant about the specifics, but if you want to know about the opportunity for the schools, again, reach out to me or anyone that's involved in any school, and, uh, and they will let you know. But yeah, it's, uh, Sandrine, you know this from, yeah. from Tamima High School. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Okay, back inside. Yeah. They canceled it? Really? What? In Illinois, she's saying they canceled it. Really? They decreased the amount. They decreased or increased? Decreased in Georgia, really, from fifty million or was it more? SSO, the school scholarship organizations. Basically, it's a way that individuals, corporations, anyone that has to pay state, not federal, state taxes, can essentially up to a certain amount, depending on which which category you fall in, whether you're single, filing single, joint, C corp, S corp, whatever, depending on how you file. You can prepay those taxes 
to the who do you pay it to? You redirect. You have to you have to put out you have to put out a little bit in advance, but it's essentially let's say your tax liability is five thousand, and you're 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 filing jointly, so you can pay that five thousand dollars. It will go to the school, and the state says, all right, because of the program, you paid it to us. You're clear. So instead of the money going to the state, the state is saying we are willing to 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 um, redirect X number per person per company per statewide to schools, to private schools of your choosing. So anyway, all right. Right, but we're gonna, we're, we're gonna promote the Jewish school angle here, absolutely. I think 200 million dollars. Oh, is it 200 million? Okay, that's more than 50. Can I ask you a quick question about the, you talk about the redirection? Yes. So the, the Vikings now, that Shem's goodness comes in, so you're saying we're talking about protecting it from going to evil. Yes, chitzonim. So I, wanna, I just want to clarify this, that it's not like there is this thing called evil that's there, but rather it is correct to say that the only way that evil comes into being, or good for that matter, is from the Jew himself. So, it's so that we're energizing it through... It's what, meaning, it's, we're going to either create good or create evil. I hear you. I mean, I would say maybe evil can't be activated until we activate it, but there is the, even the potential for negative choices. The fact that there's a potential, yeah, but I'm saying the fact that there can be a negative choice means that there's some element of negativity that is present. It's a good question. Yeah. 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 Or there's like there's something called evil that's over there and it goes over there to evil. No, it's basically us that's either creating good or creating evil. There's no other source. Let's that's I hear you. That's that's a more subtle point. That's gonna take us a little off off the thing. You're, but you're not incorrect. But let's let's jump into the text where it says beautifying garments. And this is everyone has a copy. This is page thirty-eight. Um, this is um, a little bit of deep Kabbalah. When I say deep, a little um, cryptic, more than deep. It's cryptic. Um, but now that we've had this intro, it should, it should make sense. So here we go. It can be said. Oh, we were speaking about what a servant does for the master. Like a, a, a loving servant prepares a meal, cleans the clothing. He says, what does it mean spiritually? Here we go. It can be said that beautifying the garments. You guys have a 38 bottom paragraph. It can be said that beautifying the garments of the master is a metaphor for performing mitzvot. Hey, didn't we hear that this morning? Right? Cleaning the clothes, beautify. Fixing, uh, um, beautifying means cleaning the clothing is like doing a mitzvah. For it is through mitzvot that beautiful garments are created, namely the divine garments of malchut, royalty, so that divine revelation should occur also in the worlds of Biyah. Again, every mitzvah creates a garment so that the divine revelation should occur also in the worlds of Biyah. So it should go down from Atzilut to Biyah. How does the energy go down? You got to put it in a box and ship it. You can't just put your pair of socks into a mailbox. It's not going to get anywhere. You got to put it in a box. You got to put it in a, in, a, in a package. The package is created by the mitzvah. That's what transports it, helps transport it to the lower realms. Furthermore, the next point, the performance of mitzvot caused the revelation to reach only to an appropriate place, namely to the souls of Israel. So that's what he says. That the second point is that the energy should go to the recipient, one who's doing the mitzvah, and not to any force of negativity in the periphery. That's the second point. 
What does the mitzvah do? It creates the package. What does the package do? It, it, it um, helps move it from uh, point A to point B, and it also ensures that no one else opens it other than the intended recipient. In this case, the souls of Israel performing the mitzvot. Let's go. 40. Black garments. These garments, the garments that we're creating through the mitzvah, that are moving the, mitzvah, moving the energy along and ensuring that it only goes intended recipient, are the opposite of lavush kadrus, garments of blackness. What are garments of blackness? What is, what is up with that? Huh? Natan, you're wearing a black shirt. Are we, are we calling out that as a garment of blackness? Of course not. Garments of blackness means that the garment itself, the mitzvah, is soiled. It's, it's, it's imperfect. Let's, what does that mean? Let's dump it. As explained in the look of the Torah, Shereshim, the first explanation of Yonati chapter 3, all that is a reference. So what does that actually mean? What type of mitzvah can be mired with blackness? In other words, what type, what was it? A garment is created through the mitzvah. But there could be garments of blackness, meaning that the, mitzvah, that, that the experience is somehow, um, is somehow uh, corrupted. What does that look like? Or how, how did that happen? So he says, in the parentheses, he gives a few different options about how this could happen. Number one, it can be said that this refers to sinners of Israel who are filled with mitzvot. But they are dressed in their soiled garments. He says, someone who is filled with negativity, but does a mitzvah, but that mitzvah is corrupted. That's what we call a soiled garment. Still a garment. Still a mitzvah. But the mitzvah is is I, so I, what's interesting here is he doesn't actually specify bottom line what this means. Who are these sinners of Israel? And what, is, what does that even mean? And the, the quote is coming from the famous Talmudic statement that were compared to pomegranates because just like pomegranates are filled with seeds, so too Jews are filled with mitzvot. And even the sinners of Israel are filled with mitzvot, like a pomegranate is filled with seeds. That's what it says in the Gemara, in the Talmud. He's saying, yeah, the sinners of Israel are filled with mitzvot, but how clean are those mitzvot? How nice are those mitzvot? If you're calling someone a sinner of Israel, how clean could that mitzvah be? Now, right, so he's not clarifying it. So I don't know. Now it's up to conjecture. I have a few ideas in my head I would say like this. He's not saying, by the way, that the mitzvah is totally ineffective, is totally um, becomes transformed into a negative act. He doesn't say that. He just, it's still a garment, but it's not a clean garment. Maybe we should focus not on the fact that it's gross and just say it's not 100% clean. It's not 100% clean. It's got a little bit, it's got a little bit, a little bit of stain on the garment. Let's continue. Let's just finish the sentence as explained to our Osri Lagafen. Okay. And from such mitzvot, mitzvah, a mitzvah that is done in a less than clean way, forces that are outside the realm of holiness can derive sustenance as explained in a previous discourse, as we just said. Force outside of holiness, in other words, evil and negativity can derive energy from a mitzvah that's done 
in an in, in, in a in a in an incomplete or imperfect way, in a way that is stained. Now again, for the for the I know I'm repeating myself. He doesn't exactly tell us what that means. Like what what is that? What happened? What did the person do? He kind of leaves it a little bit vague. Sinners of Israel doing mitzvahs, soiled garments. Therefore, there can be a nikah him. There can be now. It can go to an undesirable space. That's one option. Alternatively, he says, garments of blackness is the idea of from Avram issued forth Yishmael, as explained in a previous discourse, Uri Itam Oto, meaning that the outside forces can, God forbid, derive sustenance from love and fear of God, as explained in the Torah in the first explanation of Yadaita. He says, maybe garments of blackness means something else. It's not really about mitzvot. It's more about personalities. Someone has a strong personality, there is a way in which that can be corrupted as well. Avram was chesed. Avram was chesed. Avram was love. Divine love. He loved everybody. He invited everybody into his tent. Taught everybody monotheism. But from Avram, his son, his first son, was Yishmael. Who was Yishmael? He also loved a little too much. Yishmael was a guy who was, I don't know, he was a little bit wild. A little bit too, too energetic. His love, he took chesed to the extreme. Yitzchak was gevura. That was his thing. He used gevura to serve God. Restraint and discipline. He had a son also. His oldest son also took that to the extreme. Discipline to the extreme. And corrupted it. His name was Esav. The point is that anything that's positive can be corrupted. A mitzvah also, he says, could lend itself to corruption. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it says, in fact, you're 100% right. The, the Talmud says, you should always do a mitzvah, even for the wrong reasons. Because from doing it from an imperfect place, you'll end up doing it for the right reasons. Correct. This is not in any way a kasher tell saying, if you're not doing it right, don't do it at all. He's just defining know, levels of, of a mitzvah, how you can do a mitzvah in a more complete way or in a cleaner way and in a less perfect, less clean way. Also, back to if a mitzvah is not done correctly, it can bring out evil. So if it's not done perfectly correctly, maybe you shouldn't do it at all. Then it won't bring forth the evil. Because if it's not done correctly, it brings forth evil. Right, so, so what he's saying, right, good. So what he's saying is if it's not done in the most beautiful way, then it could end up feeding negativity. Not necessarily, but it could. So he's just, it, it's an encouragement. I don't think he's trying to discourage anyone from doing a mitzvah. It's an encouragement to do it in the, in the best way possible. Best way that we can. And we're not going to be perfect, that's for sure. But it's better to, um, uh, certainly to do the mitzvah in an imperfect way than to not do it um, for that reason. Now, the last paragraph of page 30, but through mitzvot performed by a righteous person, in other words, done in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a healthy way, beautiful garments are created as explained above. Now, let's do one more. Yeah, let's do one more. We'll just go through this very quickly, 42. All right, two more minutes. Cleansing of mitzvot. It can also be said that cleansing the master's garments is a metaphor for he cl- cleansed his garment in wine. I know what you're thinking. That's probably a very bad idea. How do you wash your clothes? I just throw in a splash of wine and hope for the best. 
right? That's, but that's a verse from, I believe, Song of Song. Uh, no, Genesis. I'm sorry, Bereshus. Um, he cleansed his garments in wine, meaning that the garments created by acts of mitzvot require cleansing, since these mitzvot may be in the same category as the aforementioned sinners of Israel, as explained in Torah, in other words, it's possible that even someone who's not a sinner could still do a mitzvah in an imperfect way. And so it needs to be cleaned in wine. What does that mean? What's wine? Wine is typically associated with joy. Simcha. Right? Wine, you drink a little wine, you get a little happy. That's the way it is. Let's continue. So it means to, to, to infuse your garments with wine means to introduce joy and love in your mitzvah. We have explained in a previous discourse that since the mitzvot are clothed in physical objects which are made up of good and evil, they require guarding even after the physical object has been elevated. Similarly, it can be said that they require cleansing because of their being in a place where there is a mixture of good and evil, especially the spark that has been refined. In other words, every mitzvah takes a physical object and does something with it. Tefillin, leather, tzitzis, wool, tzedakah, Metal, every um, uh, um, Shabbos candles, oil, or wax, every mitzvah has a physical component of the natural universe that's being utilized. And because you're using something physical, there is a natural susceptibility toward materialism, even within the mitzvah, because it's a physical object. So therefore, you got to be on guard when doing a mitzvah to be very careful to introduce the wine. We're going to talk about here in a moment, Chachma, which is Bittel. Let's continue. Siluku de Torah Sher Shirim Hedar regarding the flock ascending from the washing, referring to the garments of Deed Zamitzvot, which require washing in the waters of Chachma, the love of Yechudilah. And that refers to what I meant, what I mentioned before, before we read inside, that a mitzvah also needs to be done not just with care, not just with joy like wine, but also with chachma, with water. It has to be done with bitl for the right reason, not for myself, but for the cause. What if it's a little bit of self? All right, we'll, 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 it's still a mitzvah. But the ideal is that you clean it with the waters of chachma, which is bitl, a higher consciousness, not a lower consciousness. What do I get out of it? But a higher consciousness. See also Torah, Bechav, Hebekisle, beginning. Regarding the refinement of the attributes of love and fear through Chachma, see also what has been explained in regard to the ritual washing of the hands. We're going to skip all that. This reference to the other text. 44, last paragraph as we close out today. The cleansing is achieved through the joy of the mitzvah. Right, wine, I said before, wine is joy. You wash your mitzvahs in wine. Sorry, washing your, wash your clothing in wine means immerse or um, saturate your mitzvah with joy. The cleansing is achieved through simcha shal mitzvah. Simcha shal mitzvah, the joy of a mitzvah. means that you're excited to wrap tefillin. You're excited to light Shabbat candles. You're excited to eat kosher. You're excited to daven. You're excited about, you don't just do it. Oh man, I got to do this again. Oh. You're excited. The simcha is what cleanses the experience. The joy over the fact that the mitzvot are infinite light, etc. And what's the joy? The joy is I have been granted the opportunity to do something and connect with Hashem, the infinite creator. He, I remember growing up learning these, not this heavy, but like similar concepts. 
And the analogy was used of like using Michael Jordan. Imagine Michael Jordan comes over to you one day. You see him on the street. And he says, hey, kid, can you get me a drink? Remember that Super Bowl commercial yeah. with Coke? Mean Joe Green, Pittsburgh, right? Hey, kid, let me give that Coke. Right? <laughs> one shot, Coke, Coke, while he's drinking it. Then he throws the kid his jersey right at the end of the game. Yeah. One of the most iconic Pittsburgh Steelers related Coca-Cola commercials in history and the only one. So yeah, that was like, as an amazing commercial. And it's, imagine how thrilled you feel to like, oh my gosh, I helped Michael Jordan. I gave something. He wanted something. He needed something. And I was the one that he asked. Why don't we feel the same thing about Hashem? Hashem is so infinite, even greater than Michael Jordan. Even greater than Michael Jordan. And Hashem says, I need you. I need you to wrap the fill in. I have the opportunity to do so. I should be tickled pink. If anyone used that expression anymore. Right? That should be the joy. The joy is the, oh my gosh, I'm the luckiest person alive to have the opportunity to do a mitzvah. Let's continue. According to what we have written, last uh, two lines, last two sentences, we must say that his joy stems from the fact that he's fulfilling the will of the supernal one and causing pleasure to his creator. And this is the inner meaning of the cleansing of the clothes of the master. So in summary, it's exactly what we said. Right? Today was all about the garments. Today was all about clothing and clean clothing. And we said, what are, what's clothing? Mitzvahs. Why are mitzvahs clothing? Because unlike Torah that is studied and, and digested, a mitzvah is something you do. Something you do with the outside world, with your body, with your hands, with your feet, whatever it is. You do a, you do a mitzvah. You learn Torah, you do a mitzvah. It's a garment. It also creates a garment, for a packet, pack uh, a protective layer for divine energy to come below and, number two, not end up in the wrong hands. Great. But that requires clean clothing. What's clean clothing? Number one, for the right reasons. Number two, with joy. Number three, with a sense of appreciation, etc. When we do a mitzvah for the right reasons, and again, we're human beings, so we're, we're always going to have a sense of ego and a sense of, well, this also benefits me. That doesn't make it bad. But the cleaner the mitzvah, the purer the mitzvah, the purer the experience of creating that garment for the divine energy. And that's what it means to clean the master's clothing with excitement and joy like a loving, loyal servant. And so, homework for this week. You ready? Here's the homework. I would imagine that everyone here, whether here, online, hey guys, or here in person, everyone has a mitzvah they love doing. And then you probably have a mitzvah or two that you do even though you don't love it. This week, try to move the needle a little bit on one of those mitzvot that you don't love doing to appreciate it a little bit more. How are you going to come to that place? I don't know. Study about it. Google it. Read something on Chabad.org about it. Um, text your, your favorite rabbi. Whatever it is, find a mitzvah that you're doing anyway. Not something you're not doing. Find a mitzvah you're doing anyway. But you're doing it just because you do it. And try to introduce a little bit of joy, a little appreciation, a little sensitivity to the fact that this is Hashem's will. Even that meditation, Hashem created a world, created me, and asked me to do this mitzvah for Him. This should be the greatest honor ever. Hashem asked me, chose me to do this mitzvah out of how many billion people on planet Earth? There's more than there was before when I was a kid. Now there's like 7 billion 
out of seven billion people, Hashem chose me to do this for Him? Unbelievable! I'm so lucky! That attitude can help reshape the mitzvah and make it not just a mitzvah, but a joyous, wine-cleaned mitzvah that ascends, sorry, that brings the energy below and keeps it where it needs to be. All right, Yashakar, thank you for joining me this morning for Kabbalah Cafe. Hope you enjoyed it. And, uh, oh, next week, next week, next week the topic is beautifying the precious articles. Oh, it means like uh, um, interior decorating. Interior decorating and prayer. That's the physical and the, and the spiritual parallel. So we'll talk about interior decorating and, um, and tefillah and prayer next week. A few, a few um, announcements very quick. Give me 30 seconds. Number one, tomorrow night, please join us for this incredible event. Can you guys see this? It's called an IDF soldier in Gaza. Here. No, 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 he's here. He's here. He just got out of Gaza, like straight out of Gaza. He came, he came to America. He spoke in like two cities. Sorry? No, 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 no. That's somebody else. He is... Yeah, yeah. So he is um, straight from the war. They just got out. Front lines. My understanding, he'll tell his story. So I could be wrong, but my intel tells me that he was one of the guys, in his unit, he was the guy who actually broke down the doors. Like, he's the first guy to enter the house. So he'll tell us about that experience in Gaza, what they're seeing on the ground, how the war is going from the inside. I mean, you know, you can get your news from who knows where, and no judgment, but like, I think it's gonna be very uh, powerful to hear from someone on the, who's been on the ground for a while, just got out, he's here, He's going back to Israel right after this. So one night only, Monday, Monday night, um, tomorrow night, this, uh, January 22nd, 7.30, dessert reception, 8 o'clock presentation. He's going to share his story, incredible stories from the ground, from behind enemy lines. So that is tomorrow night. Also this week, Wednesday, both Wednesday at noon and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Brand new course, Advice for Life. Um, uh, guidance and advice from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. This is for, uh, um, representing 40 years of the Rebbe's leadership and his personal guidance to those questions that he was asked regarding work and money and business, family and children and health and physical health and emotional health, um, adversity, spirituality. Uh, the, all the major topics are covered in this course. So this is a great course to frame. The, you know, everyone's like, oh, I wish life came with an instruction manual. Boom. We got it right here. Six weeks. Your instruction manual for life. Based on the teachings of Torah, as framed and articulated in modern times by the Rebbe, a master of Torah and a master of, uh, of, of, of practical advice. So join us. If you're not sure, join us for the first one. Check it out. And then you can always uh, see from there and decide. Advice for Life, 12 p.m., 7.30 p.m. This Wednesday, be there or be square. You don't want to be square. <laughs> no one wants to be square. That's awkward. How do you even be square? And yes, oh yeah. So um, yeah, Gaza will not. This will not be zoomed. Will be, this will be recorded. It won't be zoomed. Um, this is only in person. This event, this the course is day and night, in person and Zoom. We got the forfecta. That's not even a thing. Forfecta. Yes. Recorded. 
Did I send you the recording? Did I not send you the recording? You got it? Okay, good. If, if, if you didn't, if you ever want recordings, call or text me or email me, and hopefully I see it and get to it quickly. If not, you can always check the YouTube, our YouTube channel. It's YouTube, and our channel is called the Torah Center ATL. And subscribe. The Torah Center ATL. Yeah. You know what? I've been a little. I've been. Uh, I know. I know. I know. I got. I all right. I got. I got my work cut out for me. Um, good to see you guys. Hey Eva. Good to see you. Hey Ellen, David, Larry, Matt, Jeff, and Diane and Ray. Good to see you guys. And look at this. We had a day without um, being uh, hacked. I know, I know. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of collective trauma here. I still haven't I, I still haven't like been able to like even view last week's recording. I can't. I mean, I'm gonna have to at some point. It's very dramatic. But what I did was I cleaned up our. First of all, I took created a new Zoom link, took all you know, took the old one down. Although that wouldn't be active anyway. And then uh, maybe we should have it as like a fake one, ooh, as a decoy. That would be, mm, decoy Zoom. Oh my gosh, all the hackers can hang out with each other. Oh my gosh, we'll just create a room and distract them. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. With fake names of... When is the IDF? Sorry? When is the IDF? You didn't say when. Oh, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, 7.30. It's at, it's at CBT in the social hall. It's 7.30, dessert reception, 8 o'clock presentation. It's 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 going to be absolutely incredible. He's he, he's. Yes. That's in Sandy Spring in uh, City Springs. Oh, it's on Zoom. Got it. Okay. So check check out that I'm so high. One second. I just want to I just want to uh, say hi for a second. All right. We'll see you guys. Shavuot Tov. Take care, everybody. Hey. How's it going?